So uh, I've had the privilege of being married to my wife for over 30 years. And uh, since we got married, we made a practice of going out on dates. And so for the past 30 years, we've gone out on dates. And this is us on a recent date. And uh, on a date night, we usually go out and eat a meal together. We do fun things we enjoy. And then, but since we started to have kids, despite being physically away from the kids on the dates, it seems that we're not able to go through an entire evening without bringing up one of our kids during the course of our conversation. They are quite unforgettable kids. <laughs> Inevitably, the topic of one of the kids comes up and something that they're going through and it becomes part of what we're talking about. And we'll talk about them at length. And at times, we'll stop and pray that we can parent them well for whatever they're experiencing. Any parents out there can echo the sentiment? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Get an amen? Amen. amen. OK. Why is that? Why is it that just despite this intentional focus on us being a twosome on our date night, that we can't stop thinking about our kids? Why are they on our hearts? Why are they in our minds? It's because God has brought them into our lives and made them part of who we are. They're just part of us. It's how God designed parenting. Parenting is a 24 by 7 role where we're always on for our kids. And it seems that that's why they are so often on our hearts and on our minds. In a similar way today, we're going to be learning about the story Jesus told. You guys have heard of the past two weeks. We're going to be to look at the same story again this week. But this time about we're going to focus rather than on the younger son or the older son, but on the father on this earthly father, and we're going to see in this story how this father had these two sons who were so very often on his heart and on his mind. He's actually the central figure of the story. The story begins and ends with him. And he is the thread that holds the two parts together, first with the younger son, then with the older son. The love the father has for each of them is what Jesus wants us to look at today. And one of the things we're going to see in what Jesus taught is how we are always on the heavenly father's heart, his father's heart. That's the big idea for today's message, that we are always on God's heart. We'll be encouraged to see how that affects us, and we'll be moved to see if, that, if God's love is really enough for us in our lives today. So we're in the third of four messages, as I mentioned. In the first message, Pastor Brian, his big idea was that God is a God who welcomes us home. And he showed us this picture, and he noted how kids, when I talked about kids earlier, need their parents' love when they deserve at least. I thought it was well put. And we saw that in the life of the younger brother who did not expect the father to welcome him home, as Brian talked about, but instead he thought that maybe he should just be a hired hand. But Pastor Brian reminded us from Romans 5.8 how God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he mentioned how I would be talking about more about this heart of the father that was filled with compassion. Last week, Scott's big idea, and again, the picture here, you'll see the older brother uh, up in that side, was about God's economy and how it's not based upon a return for our dedication or service. We saw this in the life of the older brother last week, who expected very much from his father in return for what he had done in service for him. Scott reminded us from Isaiah 64, 6, how all we have done has become like one who's unclean and our righteous acts are like filthy rags. He shared how I today would be sharing more about this heart of the father who knew what mattered most, and that is a restored relationship with his sons. So today I'm going to be sharing with you this love of the Father. And we'll see how Jesus uses the love of the Father in this story to again show how much we're on his heart and how he desires our relationship with him to be enough for us in our lives. Next week, Pastor Brian's going to wrap us up over at the picnic 
and he's going to be about celebration. So what a better thing to do than to celebrate what it means. So I'd like you to turn with your Bible or your Bible app with me. We're going to read the story again. It should become familiar with you. And I, I encourage you to read it week over week in between our times together. As you read scripture, different things will come to light. We're going to start, at, again, this is Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother of, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now we're going to be looking at this story again through the lens of the father. And we're going to look at different facets the love of the father has seen through the relationship interactions he has with each of the sons. We'll first look at his relationship interactions with the younger son and learn from that. And then we'll look at his relationship and interactions with the older son and learn from that. And then lastly, we'll see how can we take these interactions that he had with those sons and apply them to our relationship with God. As we start looking at the relationship interaction the father had with the younger son, we see a relationship that was really sadly broken. And obvious for us, right? The younger son found his relationship to his father one that wasn't enough for him. He felt the closest his father offered was insufficient for his felt needs. So he, what did he do? He pursued relationships with other people because that's what he felt was missing in his life. The love of the father was not enough. It was kind of contrary to what Max let us sing earlier where we said the father's love, right, is really what mattered. That unconditional love and grace, he didn't find enough. There's a French proverb that says that a father is a banker provided by nature. The younger son viewed his father as a source of income rather than a source of intimacy. So he used his father's provisions to go outside of his father's protection. 
He felt incomplete while with his father, and sadly, after these escapades, he even felt more empty than before after he squandered all the resources the father had given him. There's a Tamil proverb that says you can buy everything except the father. The younger son experienced all the world had to offer, and he came away realizing that he previously had all he needed. In this story, it says he came to his senses and he sought to return to his father and seek an employer-employee type relationship with him. He was thinking that that would be better than any such employee-employee relationship he was having right now. So let's take a look at the story. We'll pick it up in verse 20. We see this first interaction of the father with the younger son where it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. This demonstrates how he was always on his dad's heart. The father never knew the day his son would come back, if at all. So every day, the father craned his neck to look towards the distant road, waiting and watching for his son's return. Every day, he started with anticipation, and every night, he ended with disappointment. But then one day, there was a figure that appeared on the horizon, just beyond what he could see, and he began to analyze it. Could it be? Is this somebody I know? More importantly, could it be my son? And those of us who know our kids know each of them have a shape. They each have kind of a gait in a way that they move. Many of them actually do it just like ourselves, right? So he saw them on the horizon. He saw them coming. It was his son. This is the same way that our Heavenly Father is towards us. His, whole, his heart is always open towards us, and we are always on his mind. And he keeps waiting for us to come back to him. We see this, 1 Timothy 2, chapter, three and, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, This is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires what? All men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, we read that the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, towards us, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What we see in the story about the father and the younger son is he never pushed him out of his mind, he never wrote him off. He never moved on from him. He was part of him forever. We continue in verse 20, and it says that the father was filled with compassion for him. Now, this being filled with compassion is something where you feel it in your innermost parts. I don't know if you've ever had so much stress that you just, your insides kind of churn, and you, and you can't handle it. It all gets boiled up inside. This sense here of compassion was one where he felt so overwhelmed with the expression of emotion of love, it really came from the bottom of his heart. And ironically, there's this same word that Luke used earlier, and we may remember the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, in that part of the story, there's the Samaritan stops, and he sees the man who's been beaten up, and it says he was moved with compassion, he felt sympathy, and he took pity on him. In Luke 10, 33, it says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, Solomon took pity on him. So it's the same sense here. The father saw his son come back, and just like the good Samaritan saw the man on the side of the road, he saw his own son just in a tattered state, and he felt compassion on him. But what did he do? So it says, we continue here in verse 20, it says, The father ran to the son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now this running is very interesting. Back in that time, Jewish men did not run. Okay, they were not, it was really something that would require them to lift up their garment and expose their legs, which was actually improper for their culture. And at that time, running was really something that they thought only little kids did as part of games, or that criminals did to run away from being caught. So there was no running. So this idea of pulling up his thing, running after his son, 
was something where he was basically willing to do whatever it took in order to be able to take away his father's shame. And this wasn't just a, a little bit of a gate. This word that they use here for running is the same words that they use for athletes competing in the ancient Greek games. It's going as fast as you can, like full effort with directed purpose. It conveyed a sense of desire to get to that as fast as you want. He wanted to get, as soon as he saw his son on the horizon, he just ran to him as fast as he could because he wanted to embrace him immediately. And that's what we see. We see the father also kissed the son, right? And kissing meant to kiss him so much, to kiss him over and over and over again. It was done back and forth across the cheeks. And it was really seen as a sign of reconciliation and forgiveness. This same story is actually used of, of the woman who maybe you remember poured the perfume on Jesus' feet and kept kissing them and couldn't stop. It's that same sense of kissing. It's one that recognized forgiveness in a relationship that was restored. And now we see the father throwing his arms around him in this embrace, but this embrace wasn't just for affection, but it was also to stop his son, because you can imagine the son at that point in time, as we saw in the story, as Brian's picture, was probably just going to go down and say, sorry, I'm so sorry. But as he embraced him, he lifts him back up, and he holds on to him tightly. And the, father, the son starts going, verse 21, and he tells him, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be calling your son. But you notice what? What happens there in verse 22? Does he let him finish? No, he can't even get the rest of the words out. The younger son's not even able to get a chance of the fire. The father already starts interrupting. The son isn't able to get out his entire speech before he cuts him off. And the things that the father's going to say here are going to tell us about his love. They're amazing. Jaw-dropping. The first thing the father says, he starts by saying, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. The best robe was a sign of self-respect and honor. By doing so, the father was taking away the shame associated with this tattered, dirty clothing he had on, but more importantly, all the dirty things he had done in his life. The robe was a sense of moving away from his pig-feeding days and replacing them with garments that had a sense of privilege and tribute. That's the robe that he puts on. The father continues in verse 20 to say, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The ring of his finger was a sign of authority. His father was saying, you are still part of this family and the authority that this family has in this community. We see the same idea in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. We read in Genesis chapter 41, verses 41 and 42, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his signet ring and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes and finally put a gold chain around his neck. So this idea of robes and a ring meant that not only was he restored, but he had all the royalty and all the honor and privilege that came with being part of that family. He wasn't the black sheep anymore. We see the same idea even in the story of Esther, where in Esther 3.10, you might remember the king took off his ring and gave it to Haman. But later at the end of that story, he took out the ring off of Haman, gave it back, and presented it to Mordecai. And Mordecai had that same power from the king. We see that sandals were put on him. Sandals were a sign of being a son. Shoes were worn by family members, whereas the hired hands and the slaves went barefoot. His father was saying, you are still part of this family, and you still get all the privileges that this family has, regardless of what you've said and done. He finishes in verse 23, which says, bring the fattened calf and kill. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The feast was a sign of joy, where the father was rejoicing over his son had come home. And the father explains his rationale of all this in verse 24. He says, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The celebration of the father enabled him to rejoice with his family and his friends that his son was back. But not only that he was back, but they were restored. The brokenness in their relationship had been repaired. They were reconciled to one another. 
Now, what's important is Brian shared in the first message that this is part of three stories, right? You have the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And I'll actually call them lost sons, plural. And each of those things, you say, what happened? When they, what happened to the man who found his lost sheep? It says, together with his friends, he said to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my lost sheep, which was, I found my sheep which was lost. What did the woman do when she found the coin? She called her friends saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin what was lost. And here we have the father saying, Come and rejoice with me. My son who is lost is found. The father has his relationships with his interactions with the younger ones. We learn how this love is unconditional. And there's nothing, just like the younger son, that we can think, say, or do that our father can't forgive. The father-son relationship that was broken was restored through reconciliation. So let's turn our attention to the older son. We again see here a father-son relationship that's sadly broken. It doesn't seem so at surface level, but here the older son too found his relationship with his father one that wasn't enough for him. So instead of seeking, going off and spending the father's money, and with relationships with other people in another country, he's actually seeking approval from other ones right there in the midst of their current circumstance. Despite staying within the boundaries of the father's protection, he too never sought after the intimacy with the father. He found his relationship with his father insufficient for his felt needs. Again, contrary to what we sang earlier of being covered in the father's love was not enough for him. His father's unconditional love and grace was not enough. He felt incomplete while with his father and ended up feeling empty after seeing what his father was doing, throwing a party for his younger brother. We see this first interaction the father has with the older son in verse 28. It says, so his father went out and pleaded with him. I really like what Scott said last week. It's, it's funny. We're not given the details of what the father said. But it's good to think, what, maybe what was the father saying at that time where he pleaded with him? But we do see the son's response to the pleading in verse 29. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and, you never, and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. Why? Catch this. So I could celebrate with my friends. The younger son wanted to celebrate and have parties with friends in another country. And the older brother wanted to have parties with his friends right in his own backyard. And he says in verse 30, but when the son of yours has squandered your property prostitutes, you kill a fattened calf. Now what's great is we see the father's response in verse 31 to the older son's perspective on their relationship, saying, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. The word that the father used here, although translated son, is actually a word that's better used for child. My child. It has a sense of tender affection. My dear child, everything I have is yours. He was just as gracious to the older brother as he was to the younger one. And our story ends with him explaining to the, the older brother in verse 32. He says, we had to celebrate, we had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So what can we learn from these two interactions that the father had with his sons? What is the theme of this story? The love of the father represents the love of our heavenly father and how he loves us, his children, with such patience as we saw in the relationship who had each of his sons. Only God loves with perfect love for both of his children. He patiently loved his runaway son. He also patiently loved his begrudgingly older son. God loves all of his children. He doesn't want any of us to perish, but all of us to come to repentance. 
For those of us in the room, for those of you in the room here of a broken relationship with your Heavenly Father, our heart's desires today would be the day you'd be restored in that relationship. As we sang earlier, God wrestles with the sinner's heart, and he's likely wrestling with yours today. The story Jesus told about these two sons shows us the way to be restored. That is through confession and repentance to get right with God. Doesn't matter your background, we all miss the mark. As Stephen Lawson says, salvation is not a reward for the righteous, but a gift for the guilty. In our story, despite the sins of these two sons looking different on the outside, inwardly they had the same roots. Both brothers missed the mark with their inward attitudes and motivations. Both sons wanted the celebration focused on them. The younger brother partied with newfound bad acquaintances he made in a neighboring country. The older son told his father he wished he had been given a party in honor, in his own honor, with his own local friends. Both of them were prideful, focused on themselves, and wanted them to be the focus of the celebration. Rather than wanting to celebrate with their father, both sons seemed to feel that joy and celebration wasn't even possible with their own dad. The younger brother left his father, his family, and even his nation to seek after things that would satisfy him. He was convinced he would never be content in the confining environment of his faith and his family. The older brother was also convinced he would never be content until he was honored by his father for his service. The relationship he had with his father wasn't enough for him either. So the focus of our Christian faith is a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. It, was, it is what matters most. So I just want to remind you today that you're on God's heart. He never, you, you never leave his thoughts. There's nothing more important to him than you being restored to him. And he used that through his son who died on the cross. Pastor Brian's going to lead us in communion a little bit here. We're going to focus on that. John 1.12 assures us that yet to all who received him, meaning Jesus, and believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Where all can be sons and daughters restored back to our Heavenly Father. So the major figure of the story is the Father, a forgiving Father, and it represents God the Father in his compassionate response towards us. He's ready with open arms to welcome the sinner, and he welcomes us all back. May today be the day that you do that. Now, most of us here have been restored in that relationship. We've been restored in our relationship with Heavenly Father. What can we learn from the story Jesus told about the Father and ourselves? What can we learn from the hearts of the sons and how they viewed and valued their relationship with their Father? The first thing we can learn is about experiencing intimacy with our Heavenly Father. And then we can also learn about experiencing joy in our salvation, the salvation of others. I want to focus on this intimacy. It comes from finding our relationship with our Heavenly Father enough. I want to take this morning and look at our hearts and see what it is at the end of the day, if I ask you the question, what do you really want from God? Are we more interested in His blessings than His presence? Are we more interested in His creation than the Creator? And like the younger son, we're more interested in his resources than his relationship with us. As Pastor Brian prayed, and we didn't rehearse this, there is a sense where he does give us good gifts. But unfortunately, we often tend to think of him more as a giver rather than the gift himself. We are to love the giver more than the gifts he gives. True worship is us enjoying God for who he is, not just for what he gives us. Sadly, in the story, Jesus never told us what happened for either of these sons. We saw that the father loved them, but we don't know, really know what happened to them in the rest of their lives. Both of them loved their father's resources, we saw, more than him as a person. 
The younger son loved material things more than his father or than his family because he asked for the portion and expense. He wanted to spend his inheritance on himself. The elder brother, too, was also materialist. His anger towards his brother and his unwillingness to receive him back would do the fact that he had squandered part of his money. If the younger brother wanted the money to spend, the older brother wanted to save. It would seem that both of them were looking for security in the wrong places. But just as Max led us in singing, Jesus paid it all, I think it's really good. Now, most of these lyrics we can see, a couple of these blurbs. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. What? Find in me. Find in me thy own and all. Later on it says, Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone. Do we find it in him? And the last phrase in there, and now complete in him. Are our lives complete in Christ? That's God's desire for us, is that we would find ourselves whole in him. We see this even in how we relate to God. Often we come to him in prayer, not for fellowship or communion that we can have with him, but for things we want him to provide for our enjoyment. We see this in how we listen to God in our relationship. Often we go to our, his word looking for something for ourselves, rather than offering ourselves to him and having him show ourselves in the mirror. So in addition to learning about experiencing intimacy with our Heavenly Father, what else does God want us to learn about his heart from the story Jesus told? What else can we learn from the hearts of the sons as they viewed in this relationship with their father? As I mentioned, we can learn to experience joy in our salvation and the salvation of others. In this story, we see the joy the father experienced when his younger son came home. His father wanted to rejoice at this and share his joy with his older son. In the same way, God wants us to experience the joy of us being found and also share in that joy when we see others being found as well. This joy, though, is centered around the loving Father, that faithful, forgiving Father who wants to be in a close, loving relationship with us as children. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. The joy is rooted in the love that the Father has for us. Because of this love, we can experience joy in our own salvation, and we can also share in the joy of others who come to repentance as well. As time passes, unfortunately, some of us begin to lose kind of that part of that joy. And so today I ask maybe that as we look at this story, that the Lord would restore the joy of your salvation, and that you would see that your salvation is all that you need for life and godliness. And I also ask that he would give you joy when you see others know him and walk with him. So take time this week to read through, I encourage you to do this through the book of Philippians, where we see the Apostle Paul being motivated by the joy of his own salvation, even in the midst of great suffering, danger, and troubles. Paul found great joy in his own salvation, the salvation and growth of those who were dear to him. We at times, at least for me, fail to experience the joy which God has for me, because I'm not participating in his grace, or allowing myself to be used as an instrument as grace in the lives of others. So if you're not connecting regularly with God, you're not allowing God to use you as an instrument in his hands, your joy will be less. But the more that you allow him to work in your life, the more joy you'll be experiencing. Now, I want to ask a question. Let's go back to my family here. How do you think the rest of my kids felt when we brought this kid into our family? They felt like maybe they were going to lose out, right? Maybe there wasn't going to be enough love for the rest of them. It's not how it works, right? When, when one of our kids joins our family through birth or adoption, everyone gets excited. And here, you don't always necessarily have to wear all green shirts together. But um, 
it is a way that as, as we see, in fact, I was talking to William yesterday, little William yesterday, he's gonna have, uh, he's gonna have two incoming siblings. I'm saying, are you excited to be a big brother? And that's what we go around and say, aren't you excited to be a big sister? That's the type of joy that God's talking about that he wants us to experience with the relationship that we have here with people who are among the faith. Next week, we're going to be celebrating those who are getting baptized. And those who have been added to God's family, I am full of joy that my middle son, Jesse, among those is going to be baptized. Just like I was when, most recently, Jewel got baptized. And Joy Grace got baptized, and Jacob got baptized. There's a joy that we have not only as parents, but that you guys have with us when we see them want to be able to follow Christ with their life. So speaking of my family, as I come to the end of our time, I want to come back to Phyllis and I's earthly parents and how much our kids are on our minds. In addition to being on our minds so much, more importantly, our kids are the ones whose lives, which we love to love them. But however, our love for them is the same. It's not a love that would, it's a love, I'm trying to explain, before I had kids, I didn't really understand this type of love. Um, so those of you who don't have, I mean, some of those great uncles and aunts out here who have this amazing love for, for kids that uh, I just didn't have, unfortunately, until I had a kid. But then once I had a kid, I could never see my life without them not being part of it. And more importantly, I realized that in addition to my wife, this is someone who I'd be willing to give my own life for. And so there's a sense of just, that's how God feels towards us in such a wider and a bigger way. And in the same way as I've had one child in my family, another child in my family, another child in my family, it wasn't like I didn't have enough love to give to each of them. Actually, what's weird about love is it doesn't divide. It multiplies. So those of you who are parents can attest to this. And so that's what happens, is that there's a sense here of joy that I'm able to experience the more that are added to my family. In the same way God feels that way. God's love is multiplied across each of us as we become part of his family and enjoy him forever. So as I close, I just want to take in again this story about how Jesus told about this father and how he loves each of his sons. The love of the father is the focal point of the story. Ironically, as I shared earlier, Jesus did not go on to tell us whether the older son responded and came into the party and enjoyed it. We don't know what happened the rest of his life. Nor does Jesus say how the younger son lived the rest of his life in response to his father's welcome. We don't know whether he left again or whether he stayed. That's a mystery. And that's really because that, those things are still kind of left to choices that individuals make. Kids make their own choices, we know, as parents. But what is true is what's true about this loving father, that he was faithful, forgiving, and always wanted to be in a close, loving relationship with his kids. And that's what God wants for us. And the same way is true of me. That's what I want with my kids. I want to have a close, loving relationship with them. And to be fair, whether they want it or not, that's what I want, right? And that's what God is. He's always there. He always has his children on his mind, and he always wants to love them and be in close relationship with them forever. Let's pray. Dear God, we're grateful for the story that Jesus told about these two wayward brothers and their loving father. Open our eyes to help us to see through this story about how much you love us and how much we are on your heart and on your mind. Help us to be deeply affected by that reality. Help us also to be deeply moved to find your love enough for us in our lives. And also help us to experience joy when we see your love in the lives of others. In your name, amen.